Welcome to Equal Footing. I'm Dove Tuzman. This is our second part in a series on glitches in the matrix, biblical problems, biblical myths. Tonight's topic is around the concept of the disembodied soul and the afterlife, and it's way more than a biblical problem. This is a problem that spans all religions and faiths. When I say problem, meaning something that we need to sort out because it's at the root, at the very heart of faith. So I'm joined this evening to talk about the disembodied soul and the afterlife by Dr. Ty Goldschmidt. Dr. Goldschmidt is a, has been a professor of philosophy of religion at Wake Forest University and the University of Rochester. His research is focused on philosophy of religion and ethics. He's a prolific author on this intersection of religion and philosophy. He's published books with the Oxford University Press, the Cambridge University Press, etc. I really recommend his most recent book from 2020, Ontological Arguments. If you like this, if you like geeking out with us here on Equal Footing about these topics that really tie together religion and ethics and morality, uh, it was recently published by uh, Cambridge Press, and you can get it on Amazon. It, Dr. Goldschmidt is also published in various academic journals, including the Journal of the American Philosophical Association and the Philosopher's Imprint, and he likes to write, code, and paint. Dr. Goldschmidt, welcome to Equal Footing. And, and please, um, you can call me Ty. If I had a shorter last name, uh, I guess it would be okay, but Ty will do. <laughs> Ty, it's it's great to have you on. And Thanks so much for having me. We're gonna, de- you know, I, I always risk. I feel every time that we're on the show, getting kicked off the air because we t- we delve into difficult subjects. And for those of you that are new to Equal Footing, the idea is, however entrenched our views may be, however doctrinal, however canonical our points of view may be, we got to be able to listen to others. We got to be able to at least hear others' perspective. And tonight, when we're talking about the concept of the soul, the concept of the afterlife. I expect we may push some buttons. We may even unintentionally offend because there are some pretty significant myths out there that we're going to try to address and even even bust a little bit. And let's start with, I think, the primary myth uh, around the concept of the disembodied soul in the afterlife. And actually, let's start by defining it. So, Dr. Goldschmidt, or Ty, excuse me, first of all, what is the disembodied soul? And then we'll get to how it relates to belief in God. I think that most people by disembodied soul, or most, most writers down the ages when they've been talking about this, have just meant an immaterial thinking thing. Um, it's um, supposedly something that has psychological properties, like you or me, it can feel and, and believe and hope and doubt, um, but it doesn't have a body. Um, it isn't, at least, essentially a body. Um, and the idea is that, in fact, we are souls and will be, will become disembodied souls. I bet that beeping is the alarm uh, to remind me to come onto your show, but it's a little bit late, isn't it? <laughs> so I appreciate that definition, and let's actually address this in, in a couple different religious contexts, because I can imagine a listener just tuning in and saying, well, I, I know what I believe in. I believe in heaven or hell, or I'm an atheist. I don't believe God exists, or I'm a Buddhist, and I believe in the concept of nirvana and so forth. But 
we're going to challenge a little bit that that framework here together with with Ty. Is there was a recent uh, study of that, that was a Harvard University study around religious beliefs, belief in God, and in Western societies, I, I couldn't tell exactly how that was defined. I'm assuming North America, you know, Western and Central Europe. Uh, approximately 45 percent of respondents either are were atheistic, agnostic, or questioned seriously their belief in God. But by in the same study, less than 15% of respondents questioned the belief in, the, in a soul. So if you, whatever context you come from, whether you're Jewish, whether you're Muslim, whether you're Christian, Buddhist, Hindu, whatever, whatever perspective you come from, atheistic, most of us accept the idea whether we believe in some universal force, whether we believe in some external uh, God-like force, and those are not exactly the same things. We, almost all of us, believe in the concept that we have a soul. And yet, as you just said, Ty, the the soul is intrinsically, in its definition, disconnected from the body. Is that is that is that right? That's what we want to get into tonight. I mean, uh, I'd be or is or not? It doesn't. It, or are they tied together? Many, many people except that we are souls. That is, that essentially we are immaterial beings. Um, but that we are connected, at least for a time, to a material body. So you, you are a thinking thing, as I defined it before, something that can feel and say a center of consciousness, a center of consciousness. And this center of consciousness isn't a material thing, the idea is, but many believe that it is that you are it, and that you are attached to a material body for at least a period of time during your earthly life, then a disembodied soul would be um, a soul that is not connected to a body. So presumably, after death, uh, if you are a soul at all, you would become a disembodied soul, since the soul doesn't inhabit, doesn't cause goings on in, body anymore. So let's set the basic stage around the different belief systems. So some of the earliest religions, the Egyptian religion, early forms of Hinduism, clearly believed in the afterlife. There's an evolution of whether it's only available to kings, and then, you know, a couple thousand years later, it becomes, in the Egyptian religion, acceptable, uh, or the accepted wisdom that everybody has an afterlife. But there... Absolutely. In the ancient, the most ancient religions, there's a belief in a, in a disembodied soul, a soul disconnected from the body that goes through a journey after life. Now, then let's get to the Jewish Bible, the Torah, the, the Tanakh, that there, it's a question, right? It's not clear whether there's a disembodied soul. Do you, do you want to speak to that, Ty? I'm not an expert on uh, ancient religions. Um, certainly not ancient Egyptian religions and the others we spoke about, but it doesn't surprise me that um, they, as many of us do, accepted the existence of souls, that we are souls and we become, after death, disembodied souls. Um, well, it, it's certainly not a topic that is discussed explicitly um, throughout the Old Testament, it's, it's throughout the Hebrew Bible. It's not something that is easy to discern upon um, a reading of any page that the uh, ancient Hebrews were 
committed to an off-lot, but there are references here and there um, about the discussion, about or that imply that there is an afterlife. Or, yeah, it's, or, it's, or that we are disem- that we are disembodied, that we become disembodied souls. Sorry, I'm trying to use the same terms yeah, uh, as you do. It's, um, it's very the, the references are far and few between. It's interesting in the scholarship, and I know that you're you're a philosopher and a philosopher of religion, and so not a biblical historian. My understanding is that in in the scholarship on on the the biblical side, that. There are a couple of references that people kind of hang their hat on when it comes to the idea of a soul. Because in, in Hebrew, uh, soul is often translated as a neshama. But where it, in, the, in Genesis, it's nishmachayim, which is really like the breath of life. And so there's this debate about whether it's, is it a soul? Is it a disconnected or a disembodied or a separate soul? Or is it some sort of universal breath or force? And then later in, in the book of Samuel, there are there's a reference to you know Saul getting a necromancer and kind of trying to access the mm-hmm. the, the soul or some sort of uh, incarnation of, of Samuel. It, it's it's they're very few and far far between. They're they're like vague references. Whereas most I think Abrahamic believers, Jews, Christians, Muslims would say, oh yeah, yeah, our our our, our original text. You know, we definitely believe in the soul and we believe in the afterlife. But it's really questionable. Whether that's from the original text is that is that fair to say? I like the distinction you just made uh, in passing a sentence in a sentence ago between the soul and and the afterlife, because I think we're sort of in our discussion loosely jumping from one topic to the next when we speak about disembodied souls. There's the question about whether the Hebrew Bible, whether the ancient Israelites believed that we are immaterial things that are attached to bodies. Right during their earthly life, that the question of whether we are souls, and then there's a que- whether they believed we are souls, and then there's the question of whether they believed in an afterlife, right? Whether they believed the soul went on after the destruction or death of the body. Um, and I think that, as you say, there are references or in- verses in the Hebrew Bible that imply that we do, but it's not something that at least explicitly is made a big deal of, right. um, as it might have been in other ancient um, religious traditions, the Egyptian religions and so on, as you suggest. Now, of course, whereas, whereas the Bible um, is, is or the Hebrew Bible goes to great pain to distance itself from um, ancient Egyptian and other practices and beliefs it doesn't, and this might be another sign, it doesn't at least explicitly reject the existence of an afterlife either. So on balance, it seems that it might be a reasonable thing to understand um, the uh, ancient Jewish traditions to have taught. And, and certainly at the hands of the rabbis and, and subsequently in, in, in the history of the Jewish religion, the idea of an afterlife. Um, does become more central and is spoken about more clearly and explicitly than it might be in the the Hebrew. So we before but, before we get to the rabbis in the medieval Jewish tradition, let's let's pause for a moment at 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 Jesus Christ and Christianity. At that point, is the concept of a, a, an individual soul already entrenched in in contemporary thinking at that time, or is it still up for debate? Um. The question of whether there are souls, whether there is an afterlife. 
I um, think that the question of an afterlife is certainly um, uh, widely accepted by Jewish believers at that time. And a natural way of understanding that is in terms of the persistence of a soul after death. So, indeed, I think that at, at that time, um, the idea of a soul in an afterlife was, was widespread, among, at least among Jewish believers, and I would imagine was widespread from the beginning long before then. But beyond those environs, I think other religious traditions, as you say, um, how do I stop that, that um, alarm from going off? Other religious traditions, as you say, um, accepted it too. And as did other philosophical systems, the ancient Greek religions, Plato uh, accepted the existence of a soul. Uh, in fact, he argued for the existence of a soul and an afterlife. So this I, isn't uh, peculiar to Jewish religion either. In, so, so pardon what might seem like a really basic question, but why does the soul matter unless it's in the context of, of the afterlife? Because if you've during your life, your soul is inhabiting your body. You just referred to Plato and kind of Plato's theory of forms that the that the body is the perfect form for the soul to inhabit. But if there is no afterlife, why do why do we even need to focus on the soul? Because then then it's just ashes to ashes, dust to dust. So isn't the concept of the disembodied soul, meaning the soul as as a separate thing from our body, only important to the extent that we believe the soul then has an afterlife? beyond the body? Um, well, you might accept the existence of an afterlife without accepting that there's a soul, and you might deny the existence of the afterlife even while you accept the existence of a soul. The questions are, the questions are distinct. Um, but it is natural to many people to think that um, the question of a soul is tied into the question of an afterlife. It's the easiest way, at least, we might imagine ourselves having an afterlife as a disembodied soul. Um, but the question of whether there's a soul is, is an independently interesting philosophical question, uh, independent, that is, of the question of whether there's an afterlife, because it gets at the big question of what we are, what kind of stuff we are made of. According to um, philosophers, as well as religious believers who accept the existence of a soul, it isn't merely something we have. A soul isn't something you put in your pocket or that happens to live in your brain or maybe none of these. It's what you are, essentially. So um, it's, if there is a soul, it's something that you couldn't do without because you, you are a soul. You're kind of bending my mind a little bit, maybe other listeners as well. And said, well, you can have a belief in the afterlife without believing that the soul and the body are separate. And I was trying to think, how would that be? Well, I guess it would be if you believe in resurrection. Right, because then, I mean, I think in the Lutheran tradition, uh, there's it's you know scattered throughout the Christian tradition, but particularly in the Lutheran tradition, I think you, the, the body is like kind of put on hold, <laughs> it's like on pause, and then will be reoccupied in final days upon resurrection. And I guess, and is that what you mean? How you can believe that the soul and the body are not disconnected, but you still believe in an in an afterlife? Is it that tied to resurrection? Or I'd put it like this: if I'm using the word soul to mean um, the kind of thing you would be if souls exist, I'd say that um, the idea is that, the alternative idea is that you are a body. You are just a material thing, through and through material. Um, or maybe a part of a body. Maybe, strictly speaking, you're identical to your brain or something like this. Okay, This is the alternative view. And this kind of materialist view 
is indeed consistent with an afterlife. Mm. And uh, you sketch one way that could be, you know, you, you might be a material thing through and through. This material thing does, could even disintegrate. But then after some period of time, it comes back together and is resurrected. And presumably, the idea is that is you again on the scene. Um, so there you would have an afterlife. You would exist at some time after your bodily death, um, but you're not identical to a soul, and there's no persisting soul on that view. We're going to come back to this topic of resurrection versus reincarnation, because it's it's fascinating how many people would say they believe one thing, but actually... It, you know, when asked based on their the religious faith or the philosophical bent, and then you ask them a direct question in a sociological study, and they'll say something different. So even though presumably, you know, something like 35, 40% of the global population should believe in resurrection based on the doctrine that they follow, you know, in that same study that I quoted at the outset of the show, less than 5% of people are comfortable with the concept of resurrection when asked directly about that question. So we are on equal footing with Dr. Tyrone Goldschmidt. He is a fellow of the Rutgers Center for the Philosophy of Religion. He's been a professor on philosophy of religion at Wake Forest and other institutions. He's a prolific writer on this intersection of uh, religion and philosophy. I find this stuff fascinating. He wrote Ontological Arguments with Cambridge Press. You can pick it up on Amazon, just published uh, last year. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be back with Dr. Goldschmidt talking about the soul and the afterlife. You know, I, I almost titled this show The Final Hustle. Because I feel like it's a bit of a hustle that we, in the Abrahamic faiths, as Jews, Christians, Muslims, we're kind of, it's ingrained in us that we believe in the soul and the afterlife. But newsflash, it's not really in the Bible, in the Old Old Testament, the Jewish Bible, the Torah. Like, it's, the references are, if anything, very vague. You can participate in this conversation, this ontological conversation about the soul and the afterlife, the absence of it to some degree in the Western faiths, the prevalence of it in the Eastern faiths, which we'll get back to after the break by calling 718-303-9090. That's 718-303-9090. If you're shy about being on the air, you can also text a question to 917-428-4062. That's 917-428-4062. And we'll be right back. Equal Footing with Dove Tusman is brought to you by Mechanical Art Capital. Mechanical Art Capital offers financing to watch collectors and watch dealers from anywhere in the world. Unlock the cash value of your watch collection or your inventory, if you're a watch dealer, through Mechanical Art Capital's guaranteed buyback contracts. The paperwork is very simple. Your cash is, uh, they get your cash within one or two days. Your watches are kept in a, kept in a safe place in Manhattan in a safety deposit box at a major bank. And, uh, it's very reasonable interest rate. So for more information, call 833 0907-2. That's 833-209-0972. Operators are standing by. You can also go to Mechanical Art 
capital.com. I've been caught. All right, you're back on Equal Footing. I'm Dove Tusman. We're with our guest, Dr. Tyrone Goldschmidt. We are talking about the soul, the disembodied soul, meaning the soul as separated from the body and its potential afterlife journey. And before we get into the philosophical arguments more, to kind of create a baseline for listeners that may be feeling a bit lost, it's a very kind of ontological uh uh, subject, a, a, a uh, religious and philosophical subject. It's it maybe it's more ba- maybe it's easier to think about it in more basic terms. When we die, do we believe that there is nothingness? That's it. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. That's option number one. Let's call it uh, option number two. Do we believe that our soul lives on? Our soul continues to exist even though our body has gone to to dust. Does it go on a journey like the ancient Egyptians believe? Does it inhabit another body as the Hindus believe? Could be a human body, could be an animal body, even a plant body. Does it uh, does it wait with the body in the grave for resurrection in some final judgment day? These are pretty basic concepts that I think we don't address enough in our faith-based dialogue. We'll say, we believe in God. Okay. We believe in a universal life force. Okay. What do you think happens to that specific life force as it relates to, to you? So, Ty, did I set out those options, uh, those kind of three let's say, philosophical options for what we believe about the soul, or are there others that I missed? Um, I wasn't keeping count, um, but three isn't a very high number, so maybe I should have been. Um, But there is first a question of whether there are souls, or whether we are souls, Um, and then a question of um, whether we persist after death in any way. You outlined a few ways. Um, some of these ways might involve the persistence of the soul. Some don't necessarily involve the persistence of the soul. So they, they might be treated as separate questions, somewhat. Mm. And so is there, a, uh, is there a current kind of contemporary... I'm not talking... Because our, our point in this, in this discussion, which is an academic discussion, I want to be clear for our listeners, it's a philosophical discussion. We're not trying to change anyone's doctrinal beliefs or religious faiths. The idea is to provoke thought and therefore enhance one's our own knowledge and maybe our own understanding of our own faith. But is there in the philosophical realm, Ty, because you're a professor and a, a, an academic in the philosophy of religion, is there a kind of a consensus around... The, whether the soul exists like how how would you articulate the i don't know the the for and against argument today philosophically for the existence of the soul um i don't think there is a consensus on any big question uh in philosophy at least uh or people might widely um accept certain views for religious or cultural whatever reasons they have but 
there is not a consensus among philosophers about whether philosophical arguments for these conclusions work or not. So when it comes to uh, very big, uh, widely held views about God, about morality, about free will, and also about the self, about the soul, um, I don't think there's a lot of consensus among philosophers about whether these things can be proved or disproved, whether we might be able to show sufficient or enough or very powerful reasons for favoring one view over another. But there certainly are philosophers that are trying. There are many philosophers who are trying to give reasons for believing that we are souls, as well as philosophers who give arguments for the opposite conclusion, and the debate continues these days, well, let's, as it has let's down the ages. Dumb it down for us, Dr. Goldschmidt. Give, give us the, the, the ontology, you know, ontology is like the, I guess, the, the branch of thinking that deals with the nature of being, right? So, like, what's the ontological argument, simply put, for the layman, for me, for the existence of the soul, and what is the ontological argument that the soul doesn't exist as a separate form or as a separate thing. Oh well, um, I would, I would um, be careful about using that big word. Uh, the word it's an unfortunate word, ontological, um, because it's a long one. I was so uh, proud that I got to use that word on the air. <laughs> you could have burst my bubble. I, 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 I <laughs> want my bubble to be burst. Give it to me. Well, I like short words. Um, so. Uh, you, you might have noticed that I have a book on ontological arguments, but this is actually quite a different subject. Ontological arguments, as the word is usually used, refers to a kind of attempt to prove the existence of God that is very famous mm. and uh, reaches quite uh, far back in the history of philosophy to the early Middle Ages. Um, a kind of proof for the existence of God was offered that's called an ontological argument, and different versions have been presented down the ages of this argument, and it's much debated and a very interesting line of thought. I don't think this argument works, and that's what my book well, is about. Well, give, us the, give us the simple, short word uh, synopsis of the argument for the existence of a soul as separate from the body right. and, its, okay. and the denial of that existence. Yes, I just don't want people who are interested in this topic, unfortunately, getting my book and seeing it on a very different topic. Um, <laughs> um, basic idea, there's something true about me that isn't true about my body. Therefore, I'm not the same thing as my body. That is at the heart of most of the philosophical arguments given down the ages uh, until today. Mm-hmm. For the conclusion that we are not the same as our body. Okay. If a There's something... I'm just restate that so I can say it out loud. Maybe I'll understand it better. There's something about me that is different than my body. I am not just my body. We can d- discover something that so the argument goes. I don't know if these arguments work. Mm-hmm. We can discover something on enough reflection that is true about you that isn't true about your body. Now, okay. if something is true about A mm-hmm. but not B... It follows that A isn't the same thing as B. If A is the same thing as B, anything you say about A, you must say about B. Anything that's true of A is true of B. So mm-hmm. if we can, if we can indeed, and it's very controversial, discover something that is true about ourselves, 
that is not true about our bodies, then it would follow that we are not the same thing as our bodies. Okay. We must be an immaterial thing. That now, makes sense. Whether the, what that special ingredient is, what it is, philosophers claim that we have that our bodies don't have, or vice versa, is uh, a longer discussion. Um, but you, if you want it on one foot, that's the shape, that's the general form of the philosophical arguments for the existence of God. Now, I like that. I like that it re- doesn't rely on, on a religious belief. That's a logical argument. And give us the logical argument that the soul is not a distinct thing. Well, um, again, here, there are many arguments that philosophers have given for the conclusion that we are material things, that we are not souls. Um, a very popular line of thought among philosophers who doubt the existence of souls or that we are souls is that they, just, they think it's very hard for us to understand how it is that an immaterial soul could interact with a material body. It seems that when I, when I wish something, when I feel something, my body moves. I might go to the fridge to get a drink. When, when my body is affected in some way, my mind lights up. Um, if, if you prick me, I might feel pain. Um, and many philosophers would find it very mysterious how this could be. If we are immaterial things, how could we be in such close union to our bodies? Um, of course, there are many other arguments that have been given for the conclusion that we are souls, that there are souls and that we are them, as well as for the conclusion that there are no souls and that we are material things. Um, but these little thoughts that I'm giving, I think, capture some popular, popular ideas philosophers have had about this. I find that fascinating to see it from a philosophical perspective, Ty, because so much of our thinking around the soul and the afterlife is through a explicitly religious prism, through the prism of of canon or, or, or doctrine. So it's interesting to hear that. It brings up for me in Eastern tradition this this weird distinction, or at least I think it's weird. Maybe you can tell me why it's not between like the Hindus and the Buddhists who both both groups believe that that there is kind of an ongoing existence but the the the, the in the Hindu belief it's atman like the the concept of a soul that like gets reincarnated in in another living thing like a human or an animal and for the Buddhists it's literally called anatman which means no soul <laughs> and so and yet there is a belief that, that that there's a continued existence so it's like it, i guess it morphs what is the difference can you help us understand the difference in the concept of i have a distinct soul that gets reincarnated and i have some sort of force that isn't distinct that does live on that seems like i, I it's hard for me to to um to reconcile those two eastern beliefs well i can't speak about eastern religions with any authority. Um, so I, um, I well, through a philosophical can't tell you about prism, what is, yeah. um, philosophically, um, you might believe that there's some parts of you, I suppose some philosophers down the ages, and naturally enough, uh, if you're a materialist, I suppose you might think parts of your corpse <laughs> survive your bodily death, but you don't. Um, uh, maybe, maybe it's uninteresting what would survive your bodily death on these views if, if you care most about yourself 
about that center of consciousness that is you. Um, so for, so far in, within the Western tradition, at least, the debate has focused on whether these things that are, uh, wh- whether we are uh, immaterial things or material things, what kind of stuff we're made out of, um, less than on what other sort of stuff might survive after the destruction of our bodies. I come back to this idea of, of, of emptiness. I mean, if you, if you don't believe... Put aside whether you believe in, in the God concept or not. You can call yourself religious, observant, agnostic, or atheistic. Wherever you are on that spectrum, if you don't believe in your soul as distinct from your body, then that you, you it doesn't seem like you have anywhere to go except, uh, I don't know what it would be like, a, um, just enjoying this moment. That's it, right? I mean, there's philosophically speaking, I don't know if that's Epicurean or existential, whatever. It's but it's it's pure focus on this one existence, right? Or is there any alternative philosophical path? If I don't, if I don't believe in a separate as a soul separate from my body, do I go anywhere else other than just the enjoyment of my body in this moment in this lifetime? Well, let's um, distinguish again. Um, questions about how we should be and what we should do, and what it is right and wrong for us to do from questions of what we are. It doesn't seem to me that there's a very close kind of metaphysical, if you will, connection between what stuff I'm made out of and what is right and wrong for me to do and how I should live my life. Mm. Um, uh, it is good to give charity, it seems, and help the poor. But, but whether let, let me interrupt you there, though. Just, uh, so, sorry, Ty. But if I don't believe that there's any judgment, if, if I don't believe that my soul lives on, there's no, oh. there's no afterlife, there's no reward, there's no punishment, uh, then, then how, how is it that an ethical construct... Uh, it, how can it be constructed? Like, wh- what other reason would there be than consequence from my actions in this in this lifetime? Okay, um, so uh, it seems to me that certain things are right and wrong to do. It's, it is a good thing to give charity. It's a bad thing to hurt people for fun, and it doesn't seem to me to make any difference um, uh, to that question: what is right or wrong the question of what we're made out of, whether I'm made out of meat or whether I'm made out of some fine spiritual stuff, it still seems to be uh, good for me to give um, charity and wrong for me to hurt people. And whether other people are made out of meat or whether they're made out of fine spiritual stuff, it still seems to be good for them um, to do these things. And, um, and it doesn't affect the morality of my action towards them or, or vice versa. Um, but you might think, and, and here is um, the question. Uh, there's the question of morality, what is right or wrong, and the question of moral motivation. Right? Why should we act right and wrong? Um, do we have enough reason to act in right and wrong ways? Well, I presume that something's being right is a reason to do it, and something's being wrong is a reason not to do it. Um, but... Uh, people are often guarded by other sorts of considerations. People are guarded by self-interest and such like. And I suppose um, the question of whether we survive our bodily death then does become relevant because if this is, if this world is all there is um, and there are no further consequences for our actions, you might not be 
afraid to perform wrong actions. You might not fear any punishment, or you might not see any incentive mm-hmm. to do good actions. You not, might not anticipate any reward if this is all mm-hmm. there is. And However, that, that, that connection between uh, ethics and morality and religious belief is sometimes pointed to as if you're coming from a non-believer's perspective, as the rationale or the justification for religion itself is to create a point system or some sort of reward and punishment system so people will actually pay attention to a code of morality <laughs> and uh, as, a, as a cynic's view. Um, and not saying I'm, I'm not taking that view necessarily. I'm just saying as, as a point of devil's advocacy. Maybe the idea of an afterlife can help some people with their moral motivation. Maybe the fear of punishment after death or the anticipation of reward can give some people extra reason to do what is right and what is wrong. But I do think that what is right and what is wrong doesn't depend on there being an afterlife. It is still, and doesn't depend on the kind of stuff we're made of either. It's still right to give charity. It is still wrong to hurt people, no matter what we're made of and no matter whether there's an afterlife or not. Uh, But the question of moral motivation does lose. It's it's a very uh, it's, it's those are dangerous waters. We're going to be back in a moment on equal footing. We're going to take some text questions, and a caller has been patiently waiting. I am with Dr. Tyrone Goldschmidt, a professor and academic uh, of philosophy and religion. Uh, he his recent book on theological arguments it can be uh, published on uh, can be purchased on Amazon. It was published by Cambridge Press. Again, our number to participate in this discussion about the soul and the afterlife. Uh, the belief or disbelief in the disembodied soul as separate from our body. You can participate at 718-303-9090, and you can also text a question to 917-428-4062. We'll be right back. After I died and the makeup had dried, I went back to my place. No moon that night, but a heavenly light shone on my face. Equal Footing with Dove Tusman is sponsored by MDCS Dermatology, your experts in skin care. With two Manhattan locations and four offices in Long Island, including Plainview and Comac, the dermatologists and skin care surgeons at MDCS are proud to be affiliated with the Albert Einstein College of Medicine and New York Presbyterian Hospital. So schedule your next skin exam in one of MDCS's convenient New York area locations. To make an appointment, go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-DERM. That's 212-661-3376. You can even schedule a virtual video visit with MDCS's board-certified dermatologists from the comfort and safety of your own home. So go to www.mdcs.live or call 212-661-3376. And don't forget to mention Equal Footing for 15% off all cosmetic procedures. You're back on Equal Footing. I'm Dove Tusman. I am graced by the presence of Dr. Tyrone Goldschmidt, who's a professor and academic and author at the intersection of religion and philosophy. We've been talking about the belief or disbelief in the soul, the existence of the soul separate from our body, 
idea of the afterlife. We are not having a doctrinal conversation. We are not talking about this from a religious perspective. We're talking about it from a philosophical perspective. Don't want to offend anybody, but it is good to uh, you know, kind of question our where our beliefs uh, come from. Ty, I want to uh, get to a couple of text questions uh, that we, and we also have a caller waiting. We'll get to in a minute. In a minute. So, uh, one listener says that. I hope I'm pronouncing this correctly. The Sadducees were a Jewish sect that believed in God, but no existence after death. So the two don't have to be connected, right? So I added that last part. Um, is you know, from a philosophical perspective, uh, can you believe in in God without any belief that there is any form of existence of your body or your soul? After death, there there have indeed been um, Jewish sects that have departed from the mainstream and denied mainstream Jewish views um, about the um, soul and afterlife. But um, uh, and, and so, so the the, um, the the listener who sent in that text is, is correct. Um, uh, it is possible, and there have, one reason to think it's possible is there have been cases, right, of people who believed in God without believing in, in an afterlife uh, or in a soul. Um, the questions become connected. Maybe it's easier to believe in a soul, that we are souls, and to believe that we have afterlife. Mm-hmm. If there is a God, maybe God could, for example, coordinate our afterlife. Maybe God could tie up bodies and souls in the right way. So it's not as if the religious question is unrelated to the question of souls. They're related, but um, they're not inextricably connected. You can have a belief in God without believing in an afterlife. It is possible. I so find not, it interesting, and, Not the standard that. Jewish view, not the standard Christian view. You know, uh, Normative Jewish view is that, of course, um, there is an afterlife. Mm-hmm. And um, um, this is drawn from the uh, biblical and rabbinic traditions, um, even while there have been sects who've denied this. Why do you think philosophically that it's easier for people, at least in Western, in the Western developed world, to believe in the concept of a soul that lives on? It's easier for them to believe that than in the concept of God. Because to reiterate from the, the study of the divinity school at Harvard that I quoted at the, near the outset of the show, you know, in the vicinity of 40, almost one in two, almost half of respondents were qu- either somewhere on the atheistic to questioning seriously the, their belief in God, whereas only under 15% of respondents seriously question their belief in a soul. In other words, you have a lot more people believing in the West in the concept of a soul, a disembodied soul, I have a soul, than people feel comfortable believing in God. I think, And that's a really big statistical difference. Help us understand that. Right. Um, well, maybe the point that I made about the beliefs not being necessarily tied together, the fact that you can believe in one without believing in the other. There is some way towards the conclusion to, to explaining why many people do believe in the one without believing in the other, but um, I'm not sure. I don't know the sociology or anthropology or religious studies that it takes to understand uh, why these beliefs are spread the way they are. Is it? Could it just be ego? 
I mean, could it be just that I, I you know, I, I don't want to believe that I'm just going to disappear and I'm meaningless. I'm actually more likely to believe in in the importance of me and the importance of my individual, you know, soul than it is for you know the belief in some master force or some you know supreme being. It's I mean, it's a sad or cynical way to look at it, but it, I mean, I would seem that it seems that that's a um, logical explanation possibly I mean, people believe all sorts of things for cynical sad or wishful thinking-ish reasons right so possibly that's behind this too i, I really don't know i haven't seen the studies uh, uh we might it might change of course what people would answer to these questions might change um as we clarify what the questions mean uh were they asked whether there are souls or whether we have souls or were they asked about the possibility of disembodied souls i have no idea right. uh, no idea about um, why they believe what they do I'm afraid so let's take another text question assuming this about I guess faith assuming that there is an afterlife does one's belief or faith and even behavior affect that afterlife I think from a philosophical perspective the question is coming so as an example may your lack of faith propel your afterlife onto nothingness versus somethingness? Many religious traditions teach that our place in the afterlife is determined to some extent by our behavior in this life. If we act properly, we are rewarded in the afterlife. If not, we're punished. And that gives um, people motivation, as we spoke of before, to um, act, um, or more motivation than they might otherwise have had to act in um, the right way. Um, I suppose, philosophically speaking, uh, you know, the, the, the big questions that we're trying to figure out are whether we can prove the fundamentals here in philosophy. Can we show, um, uh, can we provide any remote reason for thinking that we are souls as opposed to bodies, or the opposite, that we are bodies of, rather than souls. Can we um, provide any any further of a reason for thinking that um, there is an afterlife at all, mm-hmm. or that there isn't, on the other hand? Um, and <laughs> It's only the next step um, that we would, uh, where we, we would question what the relationship mm-hmm. between our life over here, um, how our, what our souls are up to over here might affect what's going on in them um, down the line. We're back uh, to that sticky wicked philosophers of, the, are of the moral code. Much more of the fundamental questions here. Uh, religious traditions um, will uh, teach um, what they do about the afterlife, and and we might make sense of that. Right? Mm-hmm. It, it would make it does make sense when we look around us and see this world that there's a lot of suffering, a lot of bad things happening, um, without just desserts. It seems that people in this earthly life get away with bad behavior. And on the other hand, a lot of good people, a lot of saintly people just lead miserable lives. Um, And so it would make sense, I guess you could say philosophically, that if there is a good God, he would arrange things that... uh, at some point, there is justice in the order and the, the um, 
uh, wicked people are punished and righteous people are rewarded. And one way of fleshing that out is in terms of um, religious teachings about the afterlife. So mm-hmm. we can use, we can draw upon our ideas about God to make sense of all this, but proving it one way or the other philosophically, no, no. We philosophers are focusing on more. Uh, earlier questions. Let's let's say that. Right. Higher let's, questions. Let's let's, let's interrupt for a second. And take a question. We've had a caller patiently waiting on line three. Uh, line three, you're on the air. Good evening. This is Stan. How are you, Stan? Good evening. Nice to hear your voice. Tonight's conversation is one of the most absurd and bogus <laughs> events you've had in this whole line of show. I mean. Really bogus, and I'll tell you why. Tell us. Okay, first of all, it's always, you know, it's a pleasure to talk. Yes, <laughs> Here it is, the facts. Uh, I do not believe there is a God. I do not believe there is an afterlife. There never has been, there never will be. Uh, the the uh, philosophers can philosophize all they want, that's all they do. The reality is. And the reality is on my side and not the side of the religionists, the rabbis, the priests. They need it to keep the people in line. You made a statement which was utterly, I started to laugh. Where do we go if there's not, if I don't believe in anything? Where does that person go? Where does he go to? Well, he goes to Palm Springs or he goes to Miami. I mean, where does he go? There's no place you go. You die. You're put in the ground. You're cremated. There is no essence. If there was, hundreds of millions of millions upon millions, hundreds have died over the centuries. Where are they? In some camp uh, over there or in the, uh, in the spirit world? Some, I mean, come on. This has been the constant of the religionists for years. Now, one last thing. Harry Houdini, a magician. Who, based on Stan, illusion, Stan, before you go to Houdini, I, I, I want to go you, right to him. Because well, I, know you I want to ask you a question because I'm listening very okay, respectfully. I, I actually, right. you'd be surprised. I may agree with a lot of what you're saying. The <laughs> point of this show <laughs> is, is to, to, to raise people's uh, you know, awareness. Sometimes that means raising hackles, too. Do you believe you have a soul? No. You don't. So if, I, if, what you, if one Hitler must have had a soul. Julius Caesar must have had a soul. Mm. Uh, Genghis Khan must have had a soul. And if let's say if Hitler well, I didn't, had a soul, I didn't ask you if you think the soul is good or bad. I just asked I, you if you I, believe I, in a soul. I don't believe we look. We have gas in our systems more than we have soul. We have ulcers more than we have physical. If a soul existed, it would have been shown in the medical colleges and the hospitals over the last hundreds of years. We've got the greatest scientists. It doesn't exist. It's man's okay. way of telling um, you. Well, well, let me get to Houdini quickly because I know you've got to go. Quickly, Harry, because Houdini. we want to have a chance to respond. Well, well, no, quickly. Harry Houdini, a great musician, dealt in illusion. He knew, and he said, look, I want to believe, but he went through hundreds of seances and this and that to reach his mother. He came to the conclusion it was nothing, and he dealt in the illusion. And maybe the soul and the afterlife are illusions that we want because we want to extend ourselves. Is this all there is? That's the greatest question. I, I love, yeah. I love the... We're going to pass the baton over to Dr. Goldschmidt as well, right Stan. I love it. Thank you for voicing okay. your, your uh, point of view clearly. But if, if anyone has one, maybe you might have one. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Take care. You know, that last comment in Houdini, I can't resist mentioning there was, there was a, a listener also who wrote in saying that we should have had a medium on the show, like a necromancer. <laughs> a so, right. 
<laughs> so, Ty, what do you what do you say to Stan? I'll hang up now. Well, I'll hang okay. Up. Strongly about whether there are um, um, bodies, or you know, whether we are whether we are souls and souls that can persist after our bodily death, and um, um, on both sides, uh, there are many people who, for religious reasons, accept this. There are many people uh, who reject it mm-hmm. um, for personal reasons that they have. So far as the philosophical debate goes, one point you made earlier is that. It's uh, the contemporary philosophical debate about the nature of uh, the self is independent of these religious concerns. We're really interested, and I guess I didn't have a chance, or haven't had a chance yet in such a short discussion to present what philosophers have said on both sides. Um, really, we really are interested in what arguments, what proofs, what reasons can be given for these uh, conclusions that people have, that we are souls, that we are just bodies, uh, that we are one thing or the other. And down the ages, until today, philosophers have tried to give reasons, give arguments for for these conclusions. And um, I guess um, these arguments turn on various principles, and and we we could discuss them. I think for myself that there's much to be said on both sides of the question. I think that there are some very interesting philosophical proofs or alleged proofs. Let's not commit ourselves. Well, we're, we're probably um, not going to get... For the existence of the soul, as well as, yeah. as opposite arguments for the conclusion that we are just material beings. And that's where the philosophical debate begins, in mm-hmm. reasons and proofs, more than in religious traditions. And since we only have about six minutes left, we're not going to get into those philosophical arguments in, in detail, but we just want to reiterate to our audience, and Stan really you know, brought that to the fore, that this is not a conversation intended to change someone's belief or faith. It's it's a framework of seeing the existence of a soul that's separate from our body or the afterlife from a philosophical uh, perspective. And I think Stan brought up a point that was, you know, we were kind of dancing around and he said it better certainly than I did, which is this, we to there, it isn't the same to talk about morality and to talk about the soul and to talk about God. Like the, you can believe that you've got a soul and not believe that it is intrinsically good uh, or that, that, that so you can even believe you have a soul and not believe in God. Certainly the, the sociological stats bear that to be the case. Most people believe there's a soul and much fewer people believe in God. So I think it's interesting to separate these things and to really question the way we relate to our belief set. I, I want, have one listener here who wants to know, Ty, if you believe in God. Um, wow. The book that you mentioned about ontological proofs for the existence of God is pessimistic on whether we can prove the existence of God. I think that there are, um, again, um, interesting philosophical arguments, powerful philosophical arguments on both sides of this question. Um, And uh, even though, again, that, that book of mine on the existence of God concludes that that particular argument doesn't work, I do think that there are there are powerful arguments for the existence of God and um, that it is likely that there is a God. Um, but of course, uh, just as it would take us a, a whole show to um, talk about, or many shows, to talk about what philosophers have said for and against the existence of souls, um, it would take us a whole show or 
many shows to talk about what philosophers have said in favor of believing that there is a God. And but, on the other but Ty, the question was to you. The listener was asking, do you believe in God, yes or no? It's oh, yes, yes. yes. I, th- I think along the way I said so. Yes, okay. I do. You do. Uh, you do. The, question of, the philosophical question, though, is to what extent can we prove this one way or the other? Mm-hmm. And there mm-hmm. things become very entangling, and I'd be delighted to, um, to share some of the philosophical debates more than the, you know, um, religious discussion, and just what is my view, I'd be delighted to share what, what philosophers have said on both sides of this issue down the ages on so another let's, occasion. Let, let's take one more question, and, and, then, we'll, and then we'll wrap. Uh, this is a, a question from uh, Gunther, uh, and I'm going to abbreviate it a little bit because there's quite a bit of interesting information about the Axial Age and this time in the first millennia where the idea of kind of karma came into being with the Upanishads and how Deuteronomy was written at the same time and so forth. And so there was like a coalescence of the idea of a moral code related to religion. It's actually quite interesting, but the essence of the question is you can believe in karma you can believe in a system of justice that's applied to the souls without believing that it has a godlike element to it. I, I think that's right philosophically. I mean, it sounds right to me. Is, 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 does does Gunther have that right? That would help reconcile. Well, what you'll find too. is uh, that philosophers and religious thinkers have mixed and matched any view you can imagine about God and about the soul and about the afterlife together. I suppose if there's any moral this discussion today it's that so many views that we take to be inextricably connected are in fact not so tightly connected and one can mix and match and philosophers have mixed and matched their views down the ages and there certainly are religious traditions that teach that there's a moral order and even that there's an afterlife where this moral order um where part of the moral order takes place without believing in the existence of god yes you find people having all sorts of views, and it's interesting to, to, to investigate how tightly connected views really are. Um, Ty, you really stole my thunder. I, I want to I finish on that point in that I think that, if anything, hopefully this gets uh, listeners to start questioning, as I did in prepping for the show and talking to you, about whether my belief in God is inextricably connected or um, logically dependent on my belief that I have an individual soul, and is that then interconnected or logically dependent on my belief in a moral code? And these are these. Are, if you really ask yourself that question honestly, you might get, uh, as I did, uh, you know, kind of disturbing, if you will, or dislocating response because they are they are diff- different things, and they're often. Um, kind of classified altogether. Ty, it's been a real pleasure to have you on the show talking about the disembodied soul and the afterlife. I'd love to have you on again in our series on kind of glitches in the matrix, like these biblical, these, these myths and problems in our religious belief. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much for your time this evening. All right. We'll, t- we'll get everybody next week on Equal Footing. Thanks to Dr. Tyrone Goldschmidt. Have a wonderful week.